All right, let's go in our Bibles to Luke chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I'd like to also announce something in the bulletin. We have a new Sunday school class, and it's called Journey. And it's going to be taught by Jonathan Sweat. They're going to meet upstairs. So if you go to this section of the building over here to my right and your left, and you go up the stairs, it's going to be the first large room there on the right. And um, you see the, basically the schedule each time. Uh, we'll be on there, 945, coffee, donuts, fellowship, 10 o'clock, praise and worship music, 1010, the Bible study starts. It's going to be a really cool study. Uh, Jonathan, is, uh, we've talked about this, it's Unlimiting God, uh, Increasing Your Capacity to Experience the Divine. Uh, books taught by, um, are written by Richard Blackaby. And it's a great, great, great concept um, that Jesus um, emphasizes and the fact that there is often, there are often times in our lives to where we don't think that God can do this much because He's dealing with us. Have you ever felt like that before? Right? I'm me. God is God. So therefore, because He's dealing with me, God can do... Something, but maybe not exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, Ephesians chapter 3. So if you don't have um, a Sunday school class, um, if you've not been able to get plugged into uh, one of our Sunday morning Bible studies, um, you can get with me or, or Jonathan about that. It would be a really cool way uh, to get plugged in. And um, so it'll, it'll be a neat, neat class. Uh, Luke chapter 3. What I'm going to do this morning, if we could, let's just read here together verses 1 through 6. And uh, if you've ever uh, heard the story about John the Baptist, we're going to kind of get into the message of John the Baptist next week, all right? Uh, next week's title is going to be called The Elephant in the Room, uh, The Wrath and the Judgment of God, all right? So if you've got a friend who doesn't know Jesus, a person who's not saved, next week would be a great time to bring them. You say, now Jeff, that sounds kind of like it's a loaded gun. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, change We're just going to deal with a very, very, very important passage of Scripture that a lot of times today it simply doesn't get talked about, right? Like how often do we hear on Christian radio um, the wrath of God and the judgment of God explained? I have never heard it, right? It's always positive and encouraging. I'm trying to, I'm not trying to put down our Christian radio stations, but I'm saying if you, if you gloss over what Jesus and John the Baptist and all the prophets emphasize time and time again, if we never even deal with that, it's the awkward elephant in the room for the church and in theology, right? So we're just, because we're honest, and here's the reason. Some people say, now hold on, Jeff. I thought we're supposed to be loving. So we're not supposed to talk about hell and wrath and judgment. I want us to be very clear today. It's because we love people that we deal with those subjects. Amen, church? Because if we don't, if we don't love people, we just want to make them feel good. And if a person simply feels good about themselves and is never confronted with the reality that they have sinned against God and need His forgiveness, they're going to feel good about themselves up until the point that they die. And then when they stand before God, they're going to be so proud of their own goodness until on that day they realize that their goodness is as filthy rags. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. So because we love people, we talk about those issues and we, we love people. Uh, verse 1 in Luke chapter 3. The Bible says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, 
Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee. And tetrarch is a ruler of one-fourth of an area or a territory. And his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. So there we go, the great little republic of Texas. And Abilene made it into the Bible. Verse 2. During the high region, or excuse me, I'm sorry, the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, quote, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level places. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So what we're going to look at here today, the, the basic structure and the idea, and it's there in your outline, and we'll just read that verbatim together out of your bulletin. Here's our, our, our driving thought of today. That unless you're perfect, you are in need of God's grace to change you so that the world can see God's salvation through you or in your life. Uh, how many of you have ever done spring cleaning? Can I see, alright, spring cleaning. And the rest of you are either lying or you are de- you are definite pack rats, alright? Isn't it strange when you, when you go and you try to clean your house and you find things that you never realized that you had nor needed, right? And then even worse, I, I am a bachelor, it's called refrigerator cleaning. Right? You go in there and you find things that you're like, oh, okay, this was what mom left two years ago, right? For, for Thanksgiving, the leftover and it's growing and it's, it's, you know, it's got mold spores everywhere and you just got to do some deep cleaning. You've got to do restructuring. Well, what John the Baptist's message is about is leveling the field so that when Jesus comes, Jesus can simply go forward and preach the gospel. And the fact is, is that, you know, often in our lives, even after we're saved, for God to be able to work in us and through us, in other words, for say, God, I want you to, to work in my life strongly. There has to be things that are removed. There are mountains in our lives that should not be there. God has to lower those mountains and raise the valleys. He has to change our thought process. So before we um, really dive into the text here, I want to just walk through it and I want to point out one lie that I believe comes up to most of us when we think about God working in our life. Now notice there in verse 1 and 2, what do we have? We got a list. Now how many, how many of you, when, when you read about Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, all of these names you can't pronounce, you're like, that's awesome! Right? That just fills my soul. You know, it, most people, unless you're a real history buff, you're like, names of people I can't pronounce, who cares? I, the book of Luke, as we've seen, is the most detailed of the four Gospels, alright? Now, this, this is a little reason of why you find in Luke references to people and places that we think are really irrelevant. Um, if you've ever written a paper, all right, you have to do something called footnotes, right? You guys remember how fun that was? 
First time you ever did a paper trying to figure out footnotes, Turabian, endnotes. You're like, if I could find Kate Turabian, I would, I, you know, I would have some words with her. And you're trying to do your formatting. Well, in ancient literature, the way that you did footnotes is you referred the event to people who were in power. So if someone was reading the Gospel of Luke later on and they're asking, when did these things happen? He said, this is when these things happened. During the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, and all of these other people, so that people could have a historical marker to know when these things actually happened. And this is actually brilliant for ancient literature. Now, some of you are like, okay, now Jeff, we've got these names, what's the significance? Well, I believe, number one, here's a lie that we have to rip away from our thinking pattern. Here's the lie. God only speaks to and God only uses quote-unquote important people. I remember uh, growing up and my mom, she was uh, teaching us about history and um, and there was the, the, the division between, between in, in Britain, the royalty and the common people. And then here in the U.S., we have celebrities, we have people who are in politics, and then there are the common people. And I said, Mom, are we common people? And she said, she said, yeah, we're, you know, and I was like, whoa, I, I'm a common people. Like it just kind of hit like in my little child mind that even though I was the master of my Lego set, I was not king of the world yet. I was a common person, Right. Do, do you ever remember? Now, I don't know. This is a Baptist church, so maybe it hasn't happened to everybody. But do you remember that time that it, that it happened to you, whether a kid or maybe in your 20s or 30s, 40s? And it kind of hit like, you're not in control of the world. You know? Some of you guys are like, you know, you need to tell my husband or wife that. They, you know, just, it, it, and it just kind of hits to where you're like, I have a certain level of influence. Now, in one sense, realizing our mortality and who we are can be very beneficial because it leads us to the throne of God saying, you know what, Lord, here I am and here is who I am and I need you in my life. I need you. But it can also be used by Satan to say, well, because you're not in the Bible, because you weren't born then or, or because you're not a preacher, because you didn't study theology or because you, you, you didn't um, go uh, over into the deepest jungles of Africa and you were there paddling along with your friends, dodging poison darts, that God can't use you. Notice that you have Tiberius Caesar who was the biggest dog on the planet at the time. This guy was in control of the Roman Empire. Notice who you have also. You have Pontius Pilate, a governor of all of Judea. He was in control. Then you've got these other guys who were rulers. And then you've got the religious top dogs of the day, Annas and Caiaphas. But notice, this is so huge. Mark this, underline it. In, uh, there in verse number 2, the second clause of the sentence, the Word of God came to think bypass. The Word of God did not come to the Roman Emperor. The Word of God did not come to the governor of the whole area. The Word of God did not come to these tetrarchs, these these rulers of cities. But it came to John, the son of Zechariah. And where was he? Somebody tell me. Where? Wilderness. So this is an amazing insight here that God... um, and, And by the way, this is 400 years 
Um, if you go back to the last book in the Old Testament, the time between that and the time of the arrival of John the Baptist was about 400 years. So this is the first word from God in over four centuries. And it bypasses Rome. It bypasses Jerusalem. It bypasses Washington, D.C., so to speak. And it comes to this guy who's there in the wilderness. And as we're going to see in a few moments, he's wearing a coat and it's made of camel's hair, and he's got a leather belt, and he's eating honey and locusts. He's eating bugs. Now, 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 somebody tell me the significance of the fact that God would bypass every person on the who's who list of first century planet Earth, and the word of Almighty God came to an otherwise unknown guy in the middle of the desert. And it is through this man named John that God chose to humbly lay out the playing field for Jesus to come. So I, I want to just give you a word of encouragement here today. It doesn't matter if you don't have these, these uh, abilities or these, these positions of influence. In fact, if we looked at back at most of Christian history, God worked through the lower areas of society. I mean, you had people who were slaves getting saved. And then from that, the gospel going through uh, the families and in, in to whom they were enslaved. So man, it is an amazing thing that God chooses. Are y'all okay this morning? Are you awake? It is an amazing thing that God chooses to, as Paul says, use the, the humble things of the world to shame the wise. I've known some people, and they, they've been very honest. They said, Jeff, I've always struggled with reading. One guy is like, man, I, I read something. I like, I read a line. I read two or three lines. And I forget what I just read. I don't even know what, you know, I like go back and try to read it. There's some people who say, I've had difficulty in school. So what happens when they get saved and they begin to follow Jesus? They pick up their Bible, and guess what they think of? Book. What did they want to do with all the other books in school? Burn them and bite them. Like, like, it's so difficult to read. And so sometimes people, like we bring these, 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 these struggles to the text of Scripture even. Or sometimes people have been raised with a father who never gave any encouragement and would say things like, you're dumb. By the way, don't ever say that to your kid, alright? Because what if they believe you? And they begin acting based upon that principle. You say, why don't you make something of yourself? They may not say it, but they're in their mind they're thinking, well, your whole, my whole life you told me I'm stupid and can't do anything, so why should I try? You see, speak life. And we, we, we come, we have these things in our lives, and we, we come to study the Word of God, but sometimes it's so difficult because we think, well, I can't because I'm not. And we have this ideal of someone who God can use. Well, the fact that God has simply, right now that you're hearing His Word, it's an amazing evidence of His grace. Amen? It is an amazing evidence of His grace when we're able to pick up His Word. So the fact that we can't do these things, that we don't know how to do such and such, or we don't have a degree and whatever, is the reason that God's saying, I can overcome that and I can work through your weakness. Because people respond to stories of God overcoming people's weakness. 
People don't like to go and hear somebody, well, I've been basically perfect when I came out of my mother's womb and I'm almost perfect today. Anybody have any questions? People are like, I'm going to smack you in the face, right? We, 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 don't, we, we just react to that, you know, like, ugh. But, but if we can express through brokenness and through, and we're going to talk about it in a few moments, through the wilderness, what God can teach us, people are like, well, well man, I, I can identify with that. I've had those weaknesses. I've had those failures. So I know that if God has moved and sent his word to you, he can move in, in my life as well. So, so notice, notice what we have also there. Um, in the text. And let me, let me just make a point. Um, I, th- this is not a political point. Um, but when you see every leader of the Roman Empire that was relevant to this situation listed, it's almost like God is saying that you guys don't compare to me. Let me just say, say a word uh, about our president and about our Congress and about our state. Um, I just want to make a note. I don't think any Christian at any time should endorse someone or stand up for those who advocate the abortion of unborn children. I think it's a big deal. I think that if you cannot guarantee life in your society, you don't have anything else. You don't have a military. You don't have an economy. You don't have anything. So I'm going to just just make a statement from the pulpit here this morning that whichever politician, whomever they are, one day if they continue to advocate the type of policies that are against God's Word and that simply are barbaric, they will stand in front of God one day and realize that they don't compare and there is a judge. And I think it's up to us to simply support and cry out Proverbs chapter 24 to help those who have no voice. Amen, church? And that's a hard issue. It's not a political issue. It's a hard issue. To stand up for those who have no voice. I feel better now. Let's, let's go on. <laughs> chapter 3, verse 2. Truth number one. This is a, so, so we've ripped away the lie, right? We've ripped away the lie. It's a, and I'm not cussing when I say this. It is a damnable lie from hell that God only uses quote unquote important people. So let's rip the lie away and let's replace it with truth number one. That in verse two, the last half, John in the wilderness, we can say that God speaks to and uses the humble. It came to John. The word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. Now, now some people say, now, Jeff, was it like that John just like he, he totally missed Belks and, and Macy's and he like went to the really, the really off brand Goodwill and like all he could find was a coat of camel's hair. And I mean, what was the deal with John dressing that way? Well, for those of you who've wondered that, I want you to write down a couple of scriptures. One in particular would be 2 Kings chapter 1 verses 7 and 8. This is in the Old Testament, and this is the story of Elijah. Um, he had gone to, to tell people that they were under the judgment of God. Wouldn't that be a good job, right? You're like, God, what do you want me to do? Go tell people they're under my judgment. Great, that's going to be very popular. Here's the way it goes. Uh, they said, what kind of man was he, and who came to meet you and told you these things? Speaking of God's going to come and judge you. Verse 8, 2 Kings chapter 1. They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. And the leader said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah was the old-fashioned, biblical, not the crazy one, right? But the, the, the wild hair singing 5,000 verses of Just As I Am using psychological manipulation to get people walk down the aisle, right? But like the real deal, like legit 
hellfire and brimstone. I'm going to stand all on my own. The guy st- can, can you imagine this in the Old Testament? Like you're Elijah. God says, I want you to stand up for me. You've got 400 prophets of Baal. That's what I thought when I first studied it. Baal. That's a name of an Old Testament deity. But these dudes were psycho. This was a pagan religion that they would begin to cut themselves and to chant and to bleed. It was disgusting. It was freakish. Well, he was the only prophet left who would stand up. So he goes, and he's like, guys, y'all are serving a false god. The god of the Bible is real. God shows up. I mean, this guy had courage, man. Absolute and total courage. But he was a messenger of God's judgment. So these being Jewish people in the first century, when they saw, when they went out to first hear John the Baptist preach, and they saw what he wore, it was like, this bro means business. You know, there's there's certain things that you can wear that says, I mean business, right? Like when you see a SWAT team person, and they come out of the truck, and they've got their M4s, and you're like, I don't think they're here to play patty cake, right? They're here to do business. Okay? When they saw him, it was just a visual reminder that judgment is coming. Truth number two, in addition to truth number one, God speaks to and uses the humble. Number two, God speaks in difficult places. Where was he? (laughs) The wilderness. This is not a wilderness lodge. It was like find a rock and see if you can place it under your head to sleep at night wilderness. Wilderness like there are uh, creepy crawlies. Wilderness. Wilderness like people don't go there for vacation. Wilderness. And yet God sent His Word. To write down the statement from A.W. Tozer. He said, before God can use a man greatly, He must wound him deeply. Read that again. A.W. Tozer said, before God can use a man greatly, He must wound him deeply. You know, often Christians go through the dark night of the soul They go through those times that David in Psalm 23 said it was the valley of the shadow of death. Have you ever been there? A time to where it almost seems like if it were possible, God had forsaken you. You say, God, it it seems like everything is falling apart. I'm, I'm alone. I'm in the wilderness. I want to encourage you today that the word of the Lord came to John and this word that John preached actually was the, the leveling the field for when Jesus came. And I believe that often when we go through times um, in, in the wilderness, those are some of the most fruitful times in our Christian life. And number three, when God's Word soaks into your heart, you cannot remain silent. Amen, church? When God's Word soaks in, like when you hear from God, now I'm not saying it has to be, has to be audible or something like that, or, or you know, you, you, you come in and you see handwriting on the wall, but, but when God simply speaks to your heart, and, and He tells you something like, you need to forgive that person, or you need to get saved, or you need to just follow me, man, it's like, He begins to change you. It's kind of like, um, I don't, let's use gossip as an illustration, alright? Okay? Uh, you know, sometimes, for some of us, when you hear something, gossip, for some folks, it's hard to hold it in. Is it not? Right? Y'all hear the, hear the, hear the preacher joke about these, these, these 
preachers that, that got together and one of them said, well, I just got to, you know, they're there for accountability and they're confessing their sins to one another. And one of them, he says, you know, I just got to tell you guys, I, I, I have been angry the last few weeks. I've yelled at my wife. I've yelled at my kids. I've kicked my dog. And I don't, I'm ashamed to tell that to my church, but I need the Lord to deliver me from this anger problem. And the other one said, well, you know, I, I just got to say, you know, there was a financial issue that I was not, that I was not honest on. And I just want to confess that to you guys and I want to get it right. And the other, the other preacher said, well, I just want to confess to you guys. I have a problem with gossiping and I can't wait till this accountability meeting is through. You know? Get out there. And, and so it's, it's so easy sometimes to, I remember when I was a little kid and, um, we, we had bought, my mom had bought my, uh, my grandmother, um, uh, some, some, some undergarments for, for Christmas. And she said, you know what, what granny's getting and don't you say anything. And I remember, I don't know why it was such a pressing need upon my heart. You remember that as a little kid, certain things just gripped you, right? And the power of God, you felt compelled to share with the world. And, and we were there and, and it was Christmas Eve in, in Fort Worth and I was just a little kid and, and it was just, I, I still remember this. This is not a preacher story. And I just felt and I said, and I said, Granny, we got you some underwear. And everybody just busted out because it was just like my little heart. I had to tell. And sometimes I think it's easy. Now, isn't it easy? Isn't it easy sometimes to, uh, was that too much? All right. Well, some of y'all are warmed up. See, some of y'all, you know, and, uh, but isn't it so easy sometimes? And I found this. It's so easy to, to find out things about other people. To spread about them that would be damaging to them. But sometimes when we hear from the Lord, it's like we have to do everything, or the Lord has to do everything but move the heavens and the earth to get us to tell it. Why is that? I think that, man, when we, we fall in love with Jesus Christ and His Word comes to us, it should be like, I mean, like on steroids when we, we have something to share. It's, well, let me, let me give you a text of scripture. Write this down. This is a great verse to memorize on. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9 in the Old Testament. This is the prophet Jeremiah, um, who if you've gone through difficulties in your life, study the life of Jeremiah. It was called the weeping prophet. He says, if I say, I will not mention him, speaking of God, or speak any more in his name, There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Isn't that a good word? It says, man, when Jesus so gets a hold of my life, it's like, we've used this before, right? It's not that I have to go to church, but praise God, I get to. Amen? Like, man, I get to go and hear the Word. And it's not that I just go hear it. But, man, in my daily life and when I'm driving down the road, I get to pray to God. Now, right here, some of you are thinking, why is that not the reality in my life? Notice what the text says in verse number 4. When the voice begins to cry in the wilderness, this is very interesting. Prepare the ways of the Lord. Make His path straight. Now, notice verse 5. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. What this is referring to is that the mountains were things that people valued that should not be valued and the valleys were things that people despised but should be valued. So when Jesus comes, it's like this. 
The things that I used to think are important are lowered in importance and the things that I used to reject as even being fun, now I get my joy from. So it's level. It's as it should be. As we're going to look at in just a few moments, the reason why God would work in any of our lives is so people could see our salvation through Him. Are there any mountains in your life that should not be there? I think that would be good for all of us to do this, just to say, God, is there anything in my life that should not be there that is blocking people from seeing you? Is there any attitude in me that is blocking this church from going to the next level for people seeing Jesus? Because I don't know about you, man. I never personally or with this church, I never want to be guilty of having a bitter spirit or having an idea about God that's not right so that when people try, when God places me there to be a conduit through which people can see His love, instead they see my mountain. You see. And I think there are churches all over America. And we have seen the Lord do a phenomenal thing here. Amen? This is the only church I've ever been a part of. Like we're going to get the chairs and and re-carpet, or actually put carpet down and re-carpet the the kids in the student area. It's the only church I've ever been to, um, to where I was told by the leadership that if we need something, If the church needs something and the need is explained of what it's for and it's for the good of the church and for the glory of God, the money has always come in. Do you know how rare that is? Like seriously, do you, especially if you've gone here for a long time, do you know how absolutely rare that is? You know what I think that that demonstrates? It's a desire to say, Lord, what do you want? And if that's what you want, if that's what you desire from us, we'll do it. Now that's pretty simple, right? You, you guys all got that? We're all on the same page, right? It's like the attitude to say, Lord, what do you want? When we hear that, and we'll obey. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But isn't that basically what life is all about? God speaking to us, and us simply obeying Him? He's a good God. He's not going to lead us into harm's way. He's not going to make our life lame. In fact, He's going to absolutely change it. Let me say a word about baptism there uh, in verse number 3. Um, we have some people who say that baptism is necessary for salvation. This is one of the texts that is twisted to mean that. Uh, verse number 3. And He went into the region around Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Um, this is also in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. The same phrase, for the forgiveness of sins. Um, In the Greek, you can translate this as a purpose, right? In other words, you get baptized for the purpose of your sins being forgiveness, or excuse me, for being forgiven, or, and this is not even dealing with all of the passages in the New Testament that say that salvation is through faith in Jesus. Or, this word for can be translated kind of like um, a result, In other words, I repent of my sins, and the result of me repenting of my sins is I show it by being baptized. We're going to see how John, next week, how John was not saying that that getting baptized saves you because the people ask him uh, over in uh, verse number 10, what shall we do? And he begins to tell them ways in which to show their repentance. So the Bible's not saying um, that if you get baptized, you have repented. I want you to think long and hard. Our um, folks who've been baptized, no matter how long it's been ago, um, when you got baptized, 
were you baptized with a repentant heart? Or was your repentance and salvation after the baptism? If you got saved after you were supposedly baptized, then biblically, you need to be baptized for real. Or some people say baptized again. We think that a real biblical baptism here at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church is what the Bible teaches, is when you get saved and then you get baptized after that. It is repentance, then baptism. You said, Jeff, what, what are the changes that we have to make here in order for this to be a reality? I mean, you got over in verse number 5, and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. Speaking of God removing mindsets that should not be there, um, when I was in seminary, I had the opportunity to go preach at a First Baptist church um, for their youth ministry. They had a really good youth ministry that they did, and it was on a Wednesday night. So I went there, and I don't think that this has happened to me before, but it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and, and we were there, and they were preparing the music beforehand. Um, and I know I had to, to, to preach in about 30 minutes or so. But when we had pulled in, there was, there was a guy um, weeding his yard right across the street from the church. Okay? And it was one of those, like, you know he wasn't getting going to be able to get changed in time to come to church. So the Lord gave me a very strong sense and said, I want you to go to that guy and share the gospel. I was like, Lord, i got to preach here in like 30 minutes. I'm getting ready to share the gospel. But God says, I want you to go. And this guy's name was Mark. And I walked to, I was like, I don't, I don't really know how to swing this, Lord. I'm just going to try to be obedient. This is kind of awkward and strange in a way. You know, I mean, what do you do? Walk up. Hey, I was about to preach to like a bunch of students over there, but God told me to come preach to you. I mean, what do you say? So, so I walked over and, and I just said, uh, Hey man, how's it going? He's like, Hey, how's it going? I was like, Hey man, I'm, I'm here, a guest. I'm preaching at this church and I just want to know, I mean, do you, do you have a church that you go to? And he's, and I have never seen a guy, he, he, he basically did this. He looked down at the ground. He says, No, man, I, I've been living here for a couple of years and I know I should get over there to go to church, but I, I just hadn't and I need to bring my wife and my kids. I said, well, has anybody from, from the church come and talk to you? He said, no, but I should just really go. And he totally missed the fact. No one from the church. And it wasn't a big road. It was a large church, but a very small road. It was like, like smaller than the road out here. Like walk across the street right there. Two years, no one from the First Baptist Church had even there, even been there to meet him and invite him, much less share the gospel. But he was so crushed that he should have gone. I commend him for his wanting to at least go here. But may God break our hearts when we come. And we come and we hear and we're fed and we sing and we have our friends who we sit by and we go to our Bible study classes and study the Word of God, which says, may I remind you, the book of James, to not simply be a hearer of the Word, but a doer. And I make a very strong statement here. If our Bible studies and our preaching and our whole church simply is the intake of information, but never the application of it, then what we're doing each week is we are reaping judgment upon ourselves. And Jeff, upon what basis can you make that claim? The more that we understand about God and the more that we never actually act on it, the more we are accountable to God and also even more so the blood of people in Franklin County is on our hands. Now this is a heart issue. I'm going to challenge you 
in these next few months that if you've not met your neighbors, go meet them. Have them over to your house. This is a heart change. Amen, church? It's pretty tense in here. Some of you say, I've lived here a long time. Still go. It may be awkward, but do it. For the glory of God, for the salvation of people, for children who need to come and hear the Word of God, for kids whose dads need to be saved, for families that need to be brought back together, for marriages that are on the rocks, for the glory of God, may He so break us. May He, verse number 5, may the valley be filled and may the mountain be lowered. May He so clean us out and recreate in us a heart that is missional by default to where that becomes natural for us. And when we begin to do that, it will not become program-driven or pastor-driven or deacon or elder-driven, but it will become something from your heart. And it very well could be some of those of you who work in other places, Roanoke, wherever, when you are the light of Jesus Christ over there, someone sees your light and they go and they get saved and involved in another church over there. But if it's somebody here in Franklin County, I strongly believe, even if they, they're from a good ways away, we've got Salemites and Faramites and folks who drive a long way. Uh, what, what else? do we have? Got uh, Martinsville-ites, uh, folks who drive a good distance. And I want to just give you a word from your pastor. I think that if you care enough about somebody to invite them to hear the Word of God, to love them, to invite them to your Sunday school class, I think they need to come to your church because you're the one who gave a rip about their soul. Amen? I, I believe that. I don't think they should go to a church that doesn't care. Alright, so what's the application here? Very uh, succinctly, Necessary changes so that people can see God through me. Number one in verses 4 and 5, to replace the man-made obstacles with the supremacy of Jesus' words. Number two, to replace pride with humility. I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 57 uh, in verse 15. This is an amazing text. I would encourage you to write it down. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Check this out. This is God speaking. All right? I dwell in the high and holy place and also with Him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You know, often we, we, we have mountains in our lives that we value. The same thing in the first century, right? What did the Jews value, right? They valued Ritual, didn't they? They valued a ritual that happened week after week, day after day, that was detached from the heart, and they devalued passionate devotion and worship. And I pray that it's in our hearts that we value what God values. I pray that we value that we value people. And I think that I've seen this here at this church so far. That we value people and their salvation far more than a mountain that we may have clung to for a long time. See, Jeff, what's the purpose of God changing us? A.T. Robertson said, um, the idea that every obstruction shall be removed so as to reveal to the whole world the salvation of God. And it's such a freeing thing that when God comes and He takes those mountains that we have had for so many years that have obstructed us to God and People from seeing God through us and in us. And He raises up those humble things in that valley. 
He's saying, Jeff, does this mean that God's going to call me to go overseas? Maybe. May just be that, that God wants you to talk to your neighbors. Let's bow our heads. There may be some Christians, if you've hit this wall like I have in my life, to where there's just something in your life that, that, that keeps blocking, blocking, blocking your advance of, of following Jesus more and more. And you want it removed. You say, Lord, I've prayed. I, I want it gone. Today, just to, from your heart, say, God, I, I want this mountain gone. Lord, I know that there are things that are low priorities. There are valleys in my life that need to be raised. God, I'm asking you to give me the strength to do what I need to do. And, and Lord, would you just make me into what I need to be? Christian, if, if that's you, just ask the Lord. Say, God, would you just create in me a clean heart? Psalm 51. Say, God, would you just revive me? Would you make me new? And if you're here and, and you have you have never um, given your life to Jesus, you've never been born again, you've never been saved, just right now, give your life to Jesus. Say, save my soul, Lord Jesus. Just ask Him. Say, Jesus, I give it to You. Please take me and save me.